0: Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello folks, this is Birdsong back with you. So happy to be with you on the radio again. Looking forward to a good show today. My guest, unfortunately, the one I wanted to come on, is ill. So you're going to have birdsong today, and just birdsong. I'm going to, of course, talk about some news of the day. I'm going to be themed, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. You might remember that was an old movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, a Western. But anyway, we'll have that. You'll have my commentary and opinions on some of the news of the week, and uh we will have some dumb criminal law stories, of course, and some riddles, and a Paul Harvey story to round things out. I think you'll enjoy this program. You might learn something. So let's start it out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good of last week that I saw was the wedding of Prince Harry Mountbatten-Windsor with Meghan Markle. And I didn't stay up to watch it. I My wife recorded it and watched it later, but I thought it was somewhat well done. The Associated Press wrote that the son of British royalty and the daughter of a middle-class American wed Saturday in a service that reflected Prince Harry's royal heritage, Meghan Markle's biracial roots, and the pair's shared commitment to putting a more diverse, modern face on the monarchy. British Reserve blended with American verve in a service that broke molds and created new ones. Choir boys and a gospel choir, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the African-American leader of the Episcopal Church in the United States. There was a horse-drawn carriage, flowers picked by the groom. The wedding was a global event, thanks to Harry's status as a senior British royal and Markle celebrity after starring on the U.S. TV series Suits for seven years. Yet it seemed somehow to be personal, and they both beamed like a couple who couldn't take their eyes off of each other. I don't know how many of you saw the wedding out there, but there were a lot of people invited. There were a lot of uh, celebrities. They had Oprah Winfrey, Idris Elba, Elton John, George and Amal Clooney. Serena Williams, James Corden, David and Victoria Beckham, they all were there. Now, that was what I read in the paper from the Associated Press. I thought it was stunning what was done, and people have relied on or commented on the fact that this is a breakthrough because this is the first time a royal has married a biracial person. Now that's not true. Most people don't think about these kinds of things, but Birdsong researches these kinds of things. And I'm here to tell you something you probably didn't know. Basically, I don't think Meghan Markle is going to become the queen. Prince Harry is too far on the list, too far down on the list to become king unless something catastrophic happens. But she is now the Duchess of Sussex, and he's the Duke of Sussex. She's biracial. A lot of people, before they married, commented online, basically trolls, and how awful this was and how it was going to spoil the monarchy. Well, the Queen and the rest of the royals sent out notice that we're not going to stand for that, that this is a fine person. She's loved by Prince Harry and he should marry who he loves. So shut up. And they did. Now, the fact is is that Meghan Markle is not the first biracial person to become a queen or queen consort or even a duchess. It would surprise probably most of you that two queens of England are now considered by historians to have been black or Moorish. Interestingly enough, the two ladies, while separated by centuries, had much in common. Both were especially loved in their lifetimes and are still remembered particularly fondly today. The first one was Philippa Henault. She was born in June of 1314. That's the 14th century. She lived to August of 1369. She was the Queen Consort of Edward III of England. She was a daughter of the Count of Hanault. That's a place, or was a place, in what were called the Low Countries in the 14th century. The Low Countries now the country of Belgium. In Belgium, that area had once been ruled by Moorish tribes. It would appear that perhaps Philippa, was a genetic throwback to the darker coloring of the rulers who were Moorish. Now there are no photographs. There were there wasn't photographs in the, those days in the 1300s, and there are no real portraits of her. But however, we know about her because, you know, the royals in Europe have to try to marry other royals. And this went on for many years. Basically, when it was time for Edward III to have a bride, his father, Edward II, sent out um, people to try to find a bride for him, and they did go to the Low Countries, and they found Philippa, and uh, they have a description of her. And that is that we do know about. The description is by this courtier who went out looking, is that she had, she said, she was not uncomely, her head is clean and shaped, her forehead high and broad, her narrow, her face narrows between the eyes, and a part of her face is still more narrow and slender than the forehead, her eyes are dark, her nose is fairly smooth and even, her mouth is fairly wide. Her lips are somewhat full. Her limbs are well set, unmaimed, and not amiss as far as man may see. Moreover, she is brown of skin all over, and much like her father, and in all things she is pleasant enough, as it seems to us. So she was married to the king of England, Edward the third, who ruled in the 14th century. Now, she was thought of well by the people, but you'd be very surprised that she had 13 children. I couldn't find any evidence of how many of them survived to adulthood, but 13 children back in the 14th century is something. I did find this tidbit. The eldest of her 13 children was Edward of Woodstock, known as the Black Prince. It's usually said that the adult crown prince must have obtained this name due to his black armor. He wore that in battle against the French. However, some evidence seems to show that he was referred to as Lenoir from childhood. Perhaps he, impaired, inherited, perhaps he inherited his mother's darker complexion. Now, We don't, that's all we know about Queen Philippa. She lived a long life. She had 13 children. Let's move hundred, let's move forward rather. Let's move forward more than a 400 years to the second Queen of African or Moorish descent. And that's Charlotte of Mecklenburg. Now Charlotte was born. On May 19th, 1744. Do you know that Megan and, uh, Harry were married on May 19th, 2018? Is that a coincidence? Did the Queen look it up and decide that she would have this marriage on the day of the birth of the second Queen of Moorish or African blood? At any rate, Charlotte was her name. She was the Queen of Britain, or the Queen Consort, they called her, of George III. If you did not know, George III was the king who ruled England during the Revolutionary War. The United States won its freedom from King George after the Revolution. Now, she was born in a duchy called Mecklenburg Strelitz, Mecklenburg Strelitz. It was a small duchy within what was then the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire is now what it was as part of Germany now. She was descended from six lines from Margarita de Castro, the daughter of Alfonso III of Portugal, and his mistress, Marana Gill, who was an African of Moorish descent. It's often pointed out that there are distinct sub saharan aspects to the portraits of Queen Charlotte. Features did not seem to be passed down to Charlotte's granddaughter, who was that Queen Victoria. Now, she was, there are portraits of Charlotte, and as many of you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, is named after Queen Charlotte, who married King George III. Now, both King George III and Queen Charlotte were from that part of the Holy Roman Empire then, that is now Germany. They were of German descent, they both spoke German. They had 15 children, 15 children, 13 of them lived to Adulthood. What else do I want to tell you? People in the court of King George made note of Charlotte's wide nose. Her personal physician, Baron Stockmar, said in his autobiography that the queen had a true mulatto, mixed-race face. Like Philippa, she wasn't considered a beauty by the standards of the time, but she was well-loved by the people. She was smart, she spoke a number of different languages, she loved music, she knew Mozart, and she was a botanist. She was a botanist. She was into flowers and planting, and she planted one of the great gardens of London that is still in existence called Kew Gardens, K-E-W. Both Philippa and Charlotte were lovers of the arts and literature, and they tried to advance the rights of women in England. Both Philippa and Charlotte were removed from any potential African or Moorish ancestries by several generations. However, the tendency that European royalty had to intermarry probably preserved dominant traits and made the gene pool usually small. It isn't too hard to imagine that the more interesting characteristics uh, of the gene pool have come through different ages. What color will Will and Kate's baby be? Well, it seemed to be Caucasian. But how about Prince Harry and Mac- Meghan Markle? We will see. Sometimes history repeats itself. So it was a great day. I thought it was a wonderful wedding. I hope that the couple will have a long life and a prosperous marriage and produce many children. We saw the royal couple's open-topped carriage that was pulled through the town of Windsor by four gray horses, past crowds waving flags and holding cell phones aloft to take pictures. The ninety two year old queen and her ninety six year old husband, Prince Philip. Harry's grandparents looked on with pride, as did Markle's mother, Doria Raglan, who spent the last who had spent the last few days in England with her daughter. After the wedding there were two receptions, one for six hundred people, and then another one later the same night for two hundred people. Everyone seemed to have had a great time we wish them the best that was the good of last week stick with me there's more i'm going to talk about the bad and the ugly my news theme this week is the good the bad and the ugly this is birdsong. stay with us song back with you. Told you there's more today to hear about the news. There's a lot of news. I can't get it all in, but I want you to hear the news that I think portray the good, the bad, and the ugly for this past week. The bad, of course, is that there was another school shooting last week. It was in Santa Fe, Texas, and our hearts and prayers should go out, mine do to the families of the eight children, students who were killed, and the two teachers that were killed by a young shooter, a 17-year-old junior. His name is Demetrius Pagoritas. Now, he allegedly brought two guns into school on Friday of last week, and he had some improvised explosive devices that did not go off. He went before a judge after he was caught on Friday, and he made a confession. Allegedly, before the shooting, he had posted images of guns and a T-shirt with the words, quote, born to kill, and posted it on social media. His schoolmates were allowed to return to the school on Saturday. The shooting was on Friday to retrieve their belongings. After surrendering surrendering to police after twenty five minutes standoff with police, Pagoritas waived his right to remain silent and confessed to the shooting. People say his motives are unclear. He said he did not shoot students he did like so he could have his story told according to the probable cause statement at his hearing. Pagoritas. Answered the judge's questions, admitting to the shooting, but said little else. His family said it remained mostly in the dark about the specifics of the shooting and had no idea. The shooting was done with two guns, a handgun and a shotgun, owned by his father. One of the students killed was actually an exchange student from Pakistan. Her name was Abdul Aziz Sheikh Sheikh. The exchange student was Sabika Shaikh. She was 18 years old. She became a exchange student on a US state department program that sends students, foreign students to school in the United States. She was there for, to be there for a year. She was to be coming home. In a few weeks after she was before she was killed. Very sad. Very, very sad. That is the bad of the week. I understand that this was a sixteenth school shooting this year in twenty eighteen. This was the bad. And I say boo. Again, I don't know why we have all these school shootings. One of the things I heard or a couple of the things I heard sort of dismayed me. There was no action from our Congress. There was no action from our president. There were things and people who talked about, not guns, but talked about what we have to do is to have fewer doors in our schoolhouses, so there are fewer entrances for gunmen to get in. The new president of the National Rifle Association, Oliver North, says the problem's come from the fact that too many of our children grow up using Ritalin. They've been doped up, and that has something to do with it. Now, the shooter's family say their son never took Ritalin. Maybe he was just crazy in some other kind of way. I don't know what's going to stop these shootings. I'm not a person who wants to take everyone's guns. You've heard me say that before, but we really need to do something about this I understand there have been a lot of copycats who now want to shoot up schools. Texas has uh, reported that there have been at least 18 threats on other schools by people who want to do the same thing that uh, this young boy did. So that was the really bad And again, our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Santa Fe, Texas, the killing of students and teachers at the Santa Fe High School. Now, we've talked about the good. We've talked about the bad. Let me just say a few words about the ugly. There are a lot of things ugly that happened last week, but one of the biggest was a fellow by the name of Aaron Schlossberg. He lives in New York. You may have heard about this. He is a lawyer, and he was in a restaurant in Midtown last week, last Tuesday, and I guess he was there for lunch. It was near his office. He was in the restaurant, and he was standing in line waiting to be served, and he saw and heard two of the people who worked in the restaurant speaking Spanish, and he went into a tirade, and people videotaped him. He... um he said that why are you speaking Spanish? He said that you should speak English. He said that he said that um, he was going to call the immigration service to come and have them kicked out of the country. He said quote If they have the balls to come here and live off my money, I pay for their welfare. The least they can do is speak English. Well, people who are not citizens of the United States can't get welfare. At any rate, the video of this went viral. Now, the reason I'm saying that this is the ugly, he went on this tirade, and it blew up in his face. Because the press has been after him, the internet trolls have been after him. And we even had a United States congressman who wants to or has filed a formal complaint against, against his law license. He was evicted from his law office. And um People have done things like hired mariachi bands to play Mexican music in front of his house. <laughs> he, uh, he has been chased down by reporters asking why did he do this? And is he apologetic about it? He was not apologetic for the first few days, but later, a week later, he did apologize publicly to what he did and what he said. Interestingly enough, on his website for his law firm, he says that he they can have uh, he wa- he wants clients who speak Spanish. We have Spanish-speaking people here. We want have we want people who can speak Chinese and uh, Russian. As a matter of fact, this fellow Schlossberg indicated that he knows how to speak some Spanish himself. So why the tirade? We don't know. Frustrated. Maybe it was just a bad day. But boy, the repercussions, the repercussions kicked out of his law office. So basically, there is also much anger. Yelp listing, the Yelp listing for his law office was flooded with thousands of one-star reviews. It had more than 2,900 reviews. Like I said, he was evicted from his law office and he's trying to move to another part of New York. I understand that a week later, he did testify, he did apologize formally to what he said, and he would not call immigration on anyone to have them deported. So that's part of the ugly for the past week. The other part of the ugly is Rudy Giuliani, who is the spokesperson and lawyer for Donald Trump. He's the worst lawyer I've heard of in a long time. Last week he came out with some erroneous information on Fox News talking about any candidate can have opposition research from any country, whether it's Russia, Germany, Portugal, or wherever. That is absolutely wrong, ladies and gentlemen. It's against federal election law for any foreign country to have any say or put any money in our American elections. Mr. Giuliani, you do not know that. The worst of the ugly is the kill of Volcano, account- The the Kilauea volcano is still spewing ash and lava. We have one person who has now been struck by lava that broke his leg, and the lava is still flowing down the island. Now, this is all on the big island. It's ugly. It's like the world is coming to an end on parts of the island with all this lava and activity. Personally... I'm a little bit worried because guess what? My daughter moved to Hawaii six months ago. Now, she's not on the big island. She's on Maui. But she's told me that the it's called the vog. That's sort of the smog that comes from the big island. They smell, but uh, they're not in danger of any eruptions on her island. It is very ugly, but you know what? There's not much we can do about Mother Nature and volcanoes. That's the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly from Birdsong this week. Keep listening. There's more to say. song back with you. Glad to be with you, folks. Hope you've been staying with the show. I've talked about the news of the week that I theme the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, maybe you learned a little something about the two black queens of England, people of biracial ancestry, who helped rule England. And now we have a royal, a new one, Meghan Markle, but she's not the first person of African descent to be in the English royalty. So now let's have a little fun. Let's do some criminal, dumb criminal law stories. You know, I collect these stories from all over the world. I used to do it for my students when I was teaching law. They love these stories. I put them on my blog, and you can still go to my blog, Bird Songs Law, all one word, birdsongslaw.com. These stories are all true of the ones I'm going to read today were collected in December of 2017. First one for today comes from California. The headline read, She was a pea brain. A woman bandit was arrested recently for selling $22,750 in stolen what? Broccoli seeds on Facebook, according to police. Her name, Blanca Trejo. She's 21 years old and lives in St. Maria, California. She allegedly stole 47 bags of of the product from her former bosses at Growers Transplanting, Inc. And in her effort to pull off the caper, she charged people $40 a bag on the Internet, on Facebook, and this was much lower than the market rate authorities contend. Bags of broccoli seeds sell for much more than $40 a bag. She was a pea brain. (laughs) here's a story from China headline self-appointed engineer a commuter became so fed up sitting in gridlock that he painted turn lane arrows on a congested street Xiao Kai 28 was caught on camera pulling the do-it-yourself transportation tweak with a paintbrush and a bucket of white paint according to the police report The man said he only wanted to speed up his daily bus commute in the Jingxu province of China. Kai was fined $151, or the equivalent of $151. (laughs) Self-appointed engineer. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Kentucky. Headline, they say it was not so smooth a robbery. They say it was not so smooth a robbery. A thief robbed a gas station in Louisville, Kentucky while armed. A thief robbed a gas station in Louisville, Kentucky while armed with a tube of hand lotion, according to police. William Walsh, 35, was wearing a mask and carrying a sack in which he indicated he had a gun. Walsh snatched, Walsh snatched a bag of cash, but dropped the sack, and the sack, which contained only hand lotion, had no gun. He was soon arrested on charges of armed robbery <laughs> with a tube of hand lotion. Okay, all right. Oregon. The headline said, these jerks needed spelling. Nope, these jerks needed the spelling police badly. It appears that a spelling... chant. It appears that spelling channel, it appears that spelling challenged vandals scrawl the message, S-A-T-I-N lives inside a church. Satin lives inside a church. The idiots busted a lock on the message board at the house of worship in Forest Grove, Oregon, and left behind the would-be ominous message. They probably meant to praise Satan, S-A-T-A-N, not the fabric we call satin. But they wrote, satin lives in, inside the church. What dummies. <laughs> okay. Here's another one from Oregon. They snoozed and almost lost. A Portland couple awoke and found a man snoozing on their bedroom floor. They originally believed him when he told them he only needed some sleep. However, after they got him out of their house, the couple realized he had stolen their wallets, cell phones, and a tablet computer. Authorities credit a GPS app on the stolen phones, which led them straight to the suspect. A fellow by the name of Irvin Solomon, 64, who was hiding under a nearby porch. (laughs) Can you believe that? Here's one from the United Kingdom. They say this theft really hit home. It appears that the crooks in this heist did not just steal widow Sonia McCall's belongings. They also loaded her 40-foot mobile home onto a truck and took off with that, too. According to police in Columpton, Devon, England. I'm not, I'm dumb, said Miss McCalls, who's 70 years old, who was not home at the time of the heist, but she said, quote, they've taken everything I got. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) I hope the police catch the crooks who did that. Here's another one from California. Headline on this one says, give us a break, B-R-A-K-E, give us a break. Authorities in Orange County, California, report that 1,000 bicycles, many of them stolen, were discovered in a secret bunker below a homeless encampment. Officials Officials were clearing away trash when they spied a trap door leading to the bike stash near the Santa Ana River in Orange County. Boy, oh, boy. Here's one from Florida, and Florida has some really crazy, dumb criminal stories. The headline on this one reads, Escape by Surfboard? A man used a surfboard as a getaway vehicle. It all started when Justice Curden, 20, of Vero Beach, Florida, threw a can of beer at a man in Wabasco Beach Park, hitting him in the face. When police showed up, Cureton dashed into the ocean and paddled away on his surfboard. He was later arrested. At his home, police report. (laughs) Another one from Florida. Headline, cheesed off. That's what it says, cheesed off. A Melbourne, Florida man became so enraged when his friend ate his slice of pizza, he whacked him over the head with a golf club. Drew Sawinski, 25, was allegedly high on the synthetic marijuana known as K2 when he bashed his friend so hard, the golf club snapped in two. Yes, he was arrested. (laughs) And went to jail. Here's one from France. Strange one. The headline reads, simply, dummy. A French jogger was jailed for six months for wearing a soccer jersey emblazoned with the name what? Bin Laden. His name, Chakib LeMain, 34, was convicted of convicted of glorifying terrorism by a court in the town of Cannes that rejected LeMain's lawyers' plea to distinguish between provocation and immaturity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Bin Laden. All right, let's go to Massachusetts. Here's the story. Headline, Goldilocks. Police in the town of Framingham say some modern-day goalie locks broke into a family's home, but instead of eating porridge, he helped himself to some wine and passed out. The alleged burglar, Vaughn Buckley, 45, used a brick to break a window of the home where he was found asleep in a child's bed. Yes, an arrest was made, folks. <laughs> and finally, here's a story from Nebraska last December. The headline, Unneighborly, a man was recently sentenced to four years in prison after he was convicted of repeatedly sending strippers to his neighbor's front door to dance and get naked. The women would bear their breasts and shout for payment from the family, which included two children. Douglas Goldsberry, 45, of Elkhorn, Nebraska, sent them over to the house 75 times between 2003 and 2017. It was for his own perverse pleasure. He now is in jail for four years. (laughs) Those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. These stories never end. But here are some riddles. Can you figure them out? I'll give you the answers at the end of the program. But these are easy ones. You should be able to figure these out. Here's the first riddle. What kind of coat is always wet? What kind of coat is always wet? Second riddle. Where is the ocean the deepest? Where is the ocean the deepest? You have to think about these. They're not that hard. Finally, why did the skeleton fail the exam? Those are the three riddles. Think about them. What kind of coat is always wet? Where is the ocean the deepest? And why did the skeleton fail the exam? Stick with us. This is Birdsong. I'll be back. I'm back with you, folks. Hope you're having a good time today. I am telling you some things you might not know. Talking about the good, the bad, the ugly news of the week. Just told you some dumb criminal law stories. They're all true. If you want to find more of them? You can go to my website, LeonardBertsong.com. I've got 14 of the humor books full of dumb criminal stories. But right now, I want to do a Paul Harvey story. These stories were written by Paul Harvey's son. Paul Durant, and Paul Harvey would read them on the radio. I, like Paul Harvey, listened to him for years, and I read these stories in memory of him. Today's story is called Murder at Tobago. In the shallows off the coast of Trinidad, where the turquoise Caribbean and the mighty Atlantic meet, standing guard by the graceful Antillean tail, is Tobago, lush toward Tobago, target south for West Indian trade 200 years ago. The story is there and then of mutiny and murder, and the Scottish sea captain who fled for his life. His case never tried, is history's to decide. The, the place to which he came, his assumed name, and subsequent fame constitute the rest of the story. For Captain Paul, there was only the sea. Cabin boy on a merchant ship at twelve, his own command at twenty-two. The waters were calm for a young boy in his dreams. They grew turbulent, menacing for the young man. Round trip to the West Indies was a long haul. Scottish merchant vessels, tiny by modern standards, were human pressure cookers. Volatile, floating warehouses for people as well as their cargo. While discipline and respect were difficult to maintain, they were especially so for a youthful ship's master. Trouble seemed inevitable, and the inevitable came at Tobago. Record of the incident comes from Captain Paul's letter to a friend. So we'll see it as he saw it. There was a mutiny. There was a mutiny in the air from the very start. One crew member, whom Captain Paul refers to as, quote, the ringleader, had done everything in his power to disquiet the others on the outward passage. Now they were docked at Tobago, the ringleader, seizing the opportunity to create further unrest, demanded advance payment for the entire crew. That was impossible. Captain Paul argued that was impossible. Cash on hand was needed to invest in return cargo. The men would be paid when they reached home. It was not good enough. The ringleader, a hulking brute of a man, threatened the young ship's master, forced him to take refuge below deck. It was there in the darkness that Captain Paul would have to decide. He had run, but captains cannot run. The question was not of age or size or strength. It was a matter of responsibility of sworn duty. With a trembling hand, the 26-year-young captain drew his sword and emerged into the sunlight. For a single breathless moment, the stunned mutineers stood their ground. Their ringleader, not about to be intimidated by a mere boy, reached for a bludgeon and charged him. Roaring threats, he swung the weapon back and high against a pale tropical sky. That's when Captain Paul ran him through with a sword. At once, the air was still. A man lay dead upon the deck. The mutiny had come to a shocking end. Solemnly, solemnly, the ship's master prepared to give himself up amid protest from his second in command. He couldn't give himself up. Not here. Not in Tobago. There was no authority to try an admiralty case, and his life would be in danger. If he stood jury trial in this civil court, it would be disastrous. He must flee the Caribbean, go north to the continent of America, to the British colonies. He must change his name, begin a new life. He was good to no one as a hanged man, said the second-in-command. Reluctantly, Captain Paul relinquished his command. Many months of flight would bring him to many ports, a man without a nation or a name, until he finally reached the state or the colony of Virginia. If the alias he then chose was a bit unimaginative, it was enough to conceal his true identity. If the stars had fixed his course far from home, the steep. The sea still beckoned him, and he answered its call. Captain Paul grew to love his adopted country, and he would serve it well in the only way he knew how. To one friend he entrusted the secret of his youth. It was in a letter. To who? The letter was to Ben Franklin. And now we know that the young ship's master, who fought and ran away, had not yet begun to fight. All the while he was identified by an alias, a name that was not his own, a name behind which he hid his past while he fought for us. For it was he who lived to be the greatest naval captain of the American Revolution under the assumed name of John Paul Jones. He had not yet begun to fight. And now you know the rest of the story. (laughs) That's a good one. This is Birdsong. It's been great being with you. I got a couple more things to say. I want to give you the answer to some riddles here. What kind of coat is always wet? If you said a coat of paint, you'd be right. Number two, where is the ocean the deepest? Well, it's deepest. Deepest. At the bottom. (laughs) Finally, why did the skeleton fail the exam? Why? It was because he was a bonehead. Get it? (laughs) All right. We had a little fun. Maybe you've learned a couple of things or two. You've heard me give my opinions of what's going on in the news. Let me leave you with a thought for the day. And this is one that I lived by when I was a law professor teaching. I'm still a law professor. I'm just not teaching right now. My goal is to translate response into results. Some teachers teach for others to learn. That's not me. Some teachers teach for others to accomplish things. That's me. Is that you, folks? This is Birdsong. Been great being with you. I'll be back with you next week. Be sure to tune in.